I will confess that I had a terrifying nightmare about artificial inter- intelligence run amok and uh, taking revenge for my naysayerisms. Okay, well, this is a good segue. <laughs> is it? Okay. It is. It is a good segue. So I was going to uh i was going to apologize for hold on just a moment D- discord is making me fill out another form before i can, it's waving at me saying you have to do these things before you can talk okay i agree to the rules yes fine good it, I'm, just, I'm just an power of attorney person. yes <laughs> attorney, right, exactly <laughs> okay something about putting discord in my will i don't know whatever i got it notarized fine um i was going to apologize to you before i i, I was going to say that what i'm about to say is a lead up for our topic tonight but you would be right to not believe it, which is namely, <laughs> I was going back to the AI doomerism. <laughs> and I, I made the mistake of doing some, some research after our episode on AI, AI doomerism. I'm like, and that mistake was, surely it can't be this bad. Surely like we have created a caricature of these people. And the answer is we have not created a caricature. They have created a caricature of themselves. And it is... Truly, the, the, these these fears of AI taking over the planet are so ill-founded. And w- one of the and I know I'm sorry, Adam. I know I've dragged you into some of these. I, I you know sending you links to podcasts and so on that you absolutely <laughs> not listen to under any condition. And is the thing that I find so frustrating that we were hitting on a bit in that episode, but is actually kind of the theme of of our conversation tonight. Is I feel like people. Don't that they're, we're so accustomed to being in the virtual world that they actually don't understand how the physical one works in some really basic ways. And all of these fears are of these large language models spilling into the physical world. And it's like actually the physical world is really fickle and hard, and lots of stuff goes wrong all of the time. And for essentially every single thing in your life, physical thing in your life, there are a bunch of people that have worked behind the scenes to get that thing to you, to get that thing mined, farmed, manufactured, transported. It's like there's so much that's involved, and I feel like we've lost our curiosity for that at some level. You know what I mean? Certainly, it, our, and our appreciation for that, just because it totally. happens so magically. Absolutely. It happens so magically, and these folks have done at, like at so many different layers of the supply chain have done such a terrific job. And I think that we, the only disservice that we've done is we don't talk about it enough. And then, you know, you get these supply chain disruptions and so on where people really begin to appreciate it. But I think, so for us at Oxide, you know, we talk about building the hardware and building the software and that's all true, but there's actually another thing that we've also been building. <laughs> we, it, a, a third thing, we are building the process by which we create this thing. We are building the, the manufacturing, the supply chain, the logistics. And a lot of that stuff is not seen because it doesn't, like the, the, it, the, the very fact that the artifact has showed up and powers on and is present, it's like that job is done. So it's very easy to not appreciate it, but it is absolutely essential. I, I mean, it's, you, you cannot overstate how important this is. All of this is to get the thing that we've got. So I'm really excited that we've got a bunch of those folks today that are with us who have, uh, and we, we heard from, from Kate last time on the, on, on supply chain issues, Kate and Kirsten, and we've got the, the kind of the extended operations team here in the form of, of CJ and, and Eric 
And the, in addition to Kate and Kirsten, and so we get, I, I, I'm really, first of all, welcome to all of you. It's so great to have you here. Thank you very much. Uh, I think actually, if we don't mind, I think we might actually start with a question that came up online when we posted the rack. So we tweeted the photo of, of the rack, of a, kind of the first little rack coming off the line and shipping. And someone out there on the internet was like, oh my God, don't tell me, you're, is that how you're going to ship this thing? Please tell me you've thought about how you're going to ship it. And you're like, oh my God, have we thought about how we're going to ship <laughs> So I wonder if we might start there because the crate is its own act of engineering. It's it, the, and, and Adam, you've seen the crate out here. Yeah. I'm not sure. We, and, I've even uncrated some of our racks. Uh, and and didn't get run over by it or crushed by it or anything like that. And the the crate is really pretty amazing. So Kate, is that is that a reasonable place to start in terms of like starting with the with the crate? Um, yeah, there's obviously a lot to talk about. That's kind of the final mile. And there's a couple of things we want to talk about, but I think we can start there. It's a fun story. But mainly, I want to highlight it's really the team. The operations team has been phenomenal to work with, and we come from a breadth of different backgrounds and experiences. Um, and the main point is that we've now built one rack and that's awesome. We've built one of one that are exactly the same. And so now it's, how do we go scale that? How do we repeat it? What does that mean in terms of lessons learned through this first build and then process improvements and scalability that we're going to go work on as a team. And so we've brainstormed as an operations team, some of the topics we want to hit on today and you, you hit the nail on the head, crate and packaging. <laughs> is actually right. a huge portion of work that we have done to date that was a surprising portion of work. And so I'll let um, CJ and Kirsten jump in on that because they kind of owned that piece of the puzzle. Yeah, so uh, I, I can start on the, the initial part of the crate design and then um, CJ helped uh, and has been doing a lot with some of the shock and vibe and uh, things like that with the crate out in California. So, um, you know, we initially reached out to three crate vendors. Um, these were vendors who have done crates for other large uh, rack manufacturers. So we wanted someone that has done this in the past and does this consistently. And we had some specific requirements. Our rack is, of course, quite sizable. Um, it's very tall. So we're pushing the 102 inch limit that we can do uh, in order to go into a truck, and then if we were to fly these as well. So between the size, the height, and the weight, we had some very specific requirements. We also wanted to ship the doors and the side panels in the crate, but not attached to the rack. So we needed storage spaces for those as well. Um, we had some, some concerns with the ramp and making sure that that was going to be sturdy enough for, say, 3,000 or so pounds uh, of brute force being pushed up it. So did an initial PowerPoint actually design of what I kind of wanted the crate to look like um, and then sent that to the vendors uh, and said, hey, can you build something like this? Needs to meet certain standard shipping standards, be able to withstand uh, shipping and shock and those kind of things. So we went ahead, we got three prototypes from three different vendors. Um, knowing the first round wasn't going to be perfect. Uh, nobody had actually seen the rack before. It was just kind of telling them what requirements would be and they do well. So kind of put those three through the test, um, narrowed it down to two uh, manufacturers to go forward with and do another round 
of edits to it, um, some things we didn't think of beforehand, looking for input from them as well. And then, um, you know, over time, just from working with the two vendors, um, ease of working with them, response time, other things that they could do for us, suggestions to add, we've kind of um, been focusing in just more or less on one right now for the time being. Um, it is closest to where we're doing some of the packaging testing as well. So uh, that's how that crate design came about. And then I know CJ has been working with our current crate vendor on even additional updates and changes and tweaks here and there. Um, and so Kirsten, the, the crate that we had out in Austin, when we did that, that first pre-compliance run uh, 15 years ago, yeah. um, whatever that was, yeah. <laughs> it feels like, I think it was, was that only, was that only a year ago? I don't even know that if it's not a year. Honestly, I don't even think it was a year ago. It it feels like that. Five. How is that? It was awesome. in December. I, I feel like no, no, no. We did November. a week in, in Austin. CJ, when was that? Was that that in, was yeah, July of last year. That was a year wow. ago. Wow, which is wild. Okay, but but uh, you, I mean, that feels like it was five years ago. You, I mean, it might have been five oh, years ago, right? Totally. Okay, yeah. I'm not um, 100 sure it was a year ago. It could be two years ago. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, could, I'm or five. Yeah. The is so the um the crate that we had because that was kind of my first exposure to the crate. I mean, it's you know, the first time we had like our first initial proto rack together. Yes. Yep. And I remember being like, and here's this is a, an example of like one of the many problems that I just had not thought about at all. And and of course, you all had spent a lot of time thinking about this. So I was like, oh right, of course. Like we have to like you can't just like put it in a box, dummy. Like you actually need it to to have a properly engineered crate. And I just remember looking at that crate. I'm like, wow, this thing's amazing. And you're like, no, we've got a lot of issues with this. And oh, I'm like, yeah. oh, okay. This is not, never mind. This is not amazing. We've got a lot of work. We've got a lot of room for improvement. Well, yeah. I mean, the, just the sheer mass of our what we're putting in there. Uh, you know, some of these crate vendors are used to maybe just nailing in and not nailing and screwing. So, you know, we had suggested some things, but they they sent what they thought we needed. So there were nails popping out, and you know, wooden boards and, and dividers on the inside that would show up unattached. So that first rat crate, there was a lot of editing that was done to it. Uh, <laughs> where we actually used of time and extra extra wooden screws in that first crate and and the one after it. Yeah, and and then so because and then so we, that one we iterated on quite a bit. I mean, that, we think we kind of stuck with that initial design, I guess, CJ. But we, I know we we improved it a lot. Yeah, more or less. I mean, I guess that's what I would say generally about packaging is like it is a whole thing. Like it is a it's universe. A yeah. Like I mean, people get degrees in it. I and you know, frankly, in my supply chain experience, it's not something I've dealt with directly a lot. But uh, where I picked it up was just on some of the shock and vibe testing to make sure that you know, when we ship a product that it uh, arrives intact and, uh, and usable. And so we actually ended up switching crate vendors from that initial, um, that initial crate that we had way back when. Uh, so now we're with uh, Larson packaging is who we shipped with for the first uh, customer shipment. And uh, that crates come a long way. Uh, I mean, and, and, you know, as we get experience pushing a crate, a rack in and out of a crate, there's yes. usability, there's ergonomic improvements. And so, it's definitely come a long way, but uh, that's certainly something that we put in the things we did right uh, was Kirsten going out and getting, you know, multiple bids, uh, multiple designs from multiple vendors. So that, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Very, very well. Well, one thing I definitely appreciated is when we were loading the rack in here in Emeryville to go to compliance, 
that little the, the the ramp was not totally flush with the floor. There was that little lip. And Josh, I feel like we because CJ with you and and Josh and Steve and uh, we had, we definitely had like a bunch of folks. It took a bunch of us to get that thing over the lip, if I recall correctly. Aaron, I think oh. you were out as well. Oh yeah, I mean it's. Um, I feel like I'm always afraid that the next thing where I have to get smart on is OSHA because like you know the, <laughs> the initial crate like pushing you know 2,400 pounds of steel up that wooden ramp uh, was was trying to say the least. Um, I'm now, looking no. forward to the email in my inbox. Re <laughs> July 11th podcast. Like, oh oh right. Mm. But now it's got metal. It's got metal runners to help us you know get it up the ramp. Uh, so it's uh, you know the flip side of that. The door ramp is now super heavy, like a two person lift for sure. But um, but it's much better now. Well, and so there's an important thing in there too, in terms of because one of the the things that we were hoping to do was be able to ship the sleds in the rack, yes. which like that is. I mean, we've been able to pull that off, which to me is terrific. Because if you can't ship the sleds in the rack, then you've got a whole bunch of other logistic challenges you've got to go deal with. Um, yeah, we had not done that, and that was the focus of some of the early shock and vibe testing was. Because we'd always shipped the rack separate from the the sleds, even the sidecars. We shipped those separately, if you recall, uh, in boxes on pallets. Um, and so some of the focus of the early shock and vibe testing was, does this thing survive, you know, crate fully loaded into the crate? And uh, it did. It actually it held up really well. The crate did not, but the rack was fine. So that was, uh, that was good. When, and this is one of those things where this has a real tangible effect on the I mean, one of the things we want to optimize for is the latency from that rack arriving to being able to provision VMs and have developers productive. And if you've got to debox everything, that adds a huge latency. I mean, there's a and there's so many challenges with deboxing. Well, huge physically as well. I mean, do you do you recall when we received the first one in pieces, in boxes? Like it took up half of the warehouse floor right because you can't really stack them very high when they're in individual cardboard things it's like 32 weirdly shaped servers and two giant switches in addition to the crate with the rack it was a lot of floor space and so cj you said that you that this is like uh a, this kind of logistics at this size was was something that was new for you and that is this like entire discipline behind it i feel like that's happening all the time i mean that happens all the time for all of us but i especially feel on the operations team, you all are constantly vectoring into like, okay, well, I'm going to learn a lot about this today. I'm, gonna like, I'm going into yet another aspect of getting this thing manufactured or developed or shipped. Yeah, totally. I, I would say packaging specifically is just one of those things where you just sort of take it for granted. You know, I mean, there's, there's companies out there that, you know, really put a lot of effort into packaging, but you know, you order something from Amazon or whatever, it just shows up in a brown box with some, you know, air, uh, air packets or whatever. You don't really think about it, but when it's a very expensive computer, like there's just a lot to consider, and, and you definitely want to test it first. So, yeah, Brian, uh, there's this, there's that moment in Soul of the New Machine when the boss says, "Well, I guess I better design the power cable." Uh, it does sort of, it's reminiscent of that, like this uh, extremely important piece of logistics that goes unseen. Totally, and I feel like a, a you know, a big part of it was actually seeing, I mean, on the one hand, you can kind of spec the stuff out, but boy, seeing is really believing in terms of, of understanding where these pain points are and being able to iterate on that. Um, you know, one of the things that that I think has been really clutch for us, and, and Kate, I know that, that you feel strongly about this as well, that we have been able to do so much of this um, 
in person. And the fact that our contract manufacturer, Benchmark Electronics, is 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 onshore is actually is in Minnesota. And the fact that we've been able to be physically with the crate and be physically on the manufacturing line has been really, really important. Do you want to maybe speak to the importance of that a bit? Yeah, definitely. Um, being U.S.-based and having that close time zone has been hands down one of the best decisions we've we made at Oxide when we were selecting SEM to go through the engineering build phases and into production with. Um, that really, it's not just that alone. I think hiring Eric to be on site in Minnesota right there, um, able to go to Rochester throughout the build phases and especially throughout this final stretch, going through the PVT build and getting ready to ship has been absolutely crucial to our success. It's the right person on site during the launch. It's not just, um, a warm body there. Eric has done a phenomenal job building that relationship with Benchmark and knowing the right people to go to when we hit an issue, when we need rework accomplished, or when we need some heroic effort at quarter end. Like having Eric there has been such a big part of that success story. Well, so maybe this is Eric. This is a great segue to you. Um, first of all, I have been told that I don't. I, you and I have not been in Rochester together, but I have been told that like. Eric, you are like the mayor of Rochester, known in every establishment. I that you got to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess so. I guess that's a that's a that's a nice compliment. Um, they've been a, they've been a great team, great team to work with. I think. So CJ CJ mentioned something earlier. You know, I mean, it's not just packaging, but everything we're doing, every aspect. Just to pull the back, pull this back a little bit. I mean, everything we're doing at Oxide is learning. As we go, I think a lot of the hardware team probably gets frustrated with me. Um, they probably know my battle cry of like requirements and documentation, and we want to do that. But as soon as I say that, I'm being the biggest hypocrite because we've been lacking a lot of that documentation on even on the operation side too, which makes it hard to build something and makes it hard to make it repeatable. So like Kate said, we have one in a row. But to be able to build something like that when you don't have the documentation, you don't know what you're doing, you know the direction you want to go, but you can't tell them do this. That can be challenging. And so we're lucky to have a, like with Benchmark, it's been um, a joy to work with them. And they've welcomed us in, I think, across the board, not just me, but all the hardware team that's been there, all the software team that's come in to bring up over the past see, almost two years, um, I think has, has really helped create that relationship and that partnership, um, build a process together. Like you said early on, Brian, at the opening of the, of the podcast here is, um, being able to define and document what we are building and build that process to make something not just one time, but make it try to make it twice. <laughs> so. Well, yeah, and, and I mean, and that's the challenge when you're doing this new product introduction NPI. You really, which honestly is not what most manufacturers do, right? I mean, it is its own, and you can. I, I, I've got like total new appreciation for why it. You need a manufacturer who really understands what NPI entails. Because it entails a lot of figuring it out and and fine tuning and and not just and and finding things that are massively wrong and fixing them. Um, and it, Eric, I mean that that give and take with, with them has been really really important. Do you want to maybe talk about some of the things that that you were able to to just being there with the manufacturer and uh, you were able to kind of discover um, and and as we were building this thing there's so many of them <laughs> yeah i think the i think one of the first things is um 
So I'm new to electronics manufacturing, uh, so a lot of the hardware team has helped kind of get me up to speed there. But being on site, just trying to be an asset for Oxide, and then I have a manufacturing background, but in metals manufacturing and um, other areas, but not electronics manufacturing. It's been absolutely eye-opening. It's, in the, it's a really cool area uh, to be in. But um, I think some of the, I'd say some of the challenges um, or some of the benefits of being on site is... Um, just having some continuity, especially during that NPI to production phase. Um, the NPI to production handoff is always challenging. I don't care what company you're at, um, can be a challenging time. So we went through that in November. Uh, well, October, November is when we kind of forced that function. And um, <laughs> when we talked earlier today, we said, man, that was one of the best things I think we did as a company is to try to do DVT with a production mindset. Um, so we were able to transition all of our um, like engineering documentation, at least over to production. Um, Aaron Hartwig and Nathaniel and a lot of the team have been critical in pushing ECOs, so our engineering change orders, over to document, start that initial documentation and foundation of our system. So being there to when, where there isn't a process, that's been helpful. I remember during DVT, we didn't have... We never built a sidecar, really. I mean, I think even the NPI team had put like a half of one together or one together. We'd never built a rack. So we're just looking at assembly drawings and like the next day we were creating a documentation, creating like Word documents and saying, here's how we think this goes together. I mean, we're not building a spaceship. Um, I mean, not to take, it's not that complicated, but you can look at an assembly drawing and a higher level drawing and say, this is the stuff, how it should go together. And then we just pushed it to the floor and that was our documentation for like the next day. And we kind of lived hand to mouth to that, like that during DVT. Um, so being on site for that was really helpful. I don't see how that could have been accomplished remotely it could have been done. It just would have been much more slow. So, um, and much more error prone, right? It would have been a lot of more. We just would have had a lot. And you know, one of the challenges you got as a startup building a physical thing is that we're trying to move quickly, but also with rigor. I mean, it's it, it's our classic urgency and rigor trade off. Which I mean, you, you all were were right at the intersection of that. It feels like every day. Like, how do we build? the right rigorous scalable process and also how do we do it right now? It's like, well, okay, something's going to have to give. And, but it feels like something different had to give every day. It's really uh, the, kind of a constant balance that, that you were having to hit. I think, you know, Kate, I told Kate, yeah. I said, you know, even if you're down there for five minutes and you're able to push something forward, that would have saved like two days. Um, even if you're down there, so you're not always engaged. There's not always something going on, but if you're down there where you can push something forward and be there involved for five minutes, it's definitely worth the trip, that beautiful drive down 52. Um, um, but, uh, you know, just another, another, and just to, just one quick highlight of that. So, you know, Josh has been, you know, instrumental in the manufacturing side on the software side, which has been great. He's extremely patient with me, but one of those things, like I, I remember telling Josh, I said, if I can just be down there and if you just need me to press a button and then I didn't do that from here, <laughs> it's like, well, oh, that's how computers work. Oh, okay. I see. But he would, but he was, if there's just anything we can do, if it's just making sure a cable's plugged in or something like that, just even that, having that on-site presence is, I think, helpful. Um, and again, the goal is really, I think, Brian, like with anyone in operations, at least my ML is, make sure we're not blocking anything. If there's anything keeping our engineers in the way from doing their job, um, that's, that's what we need to do in operations, I think, if we had a mission statement. So hopefully we're doing that. Hopefully we're doing that. Totally. 
Oh, I, oh God, absolutely. Well, I, I mean, I think to me, what has been so exciting about this is it is such a tight collaboration between the the operations, uh, our hardware engineering team and our software engineering team. So like, we get everyone and, you know, the manufacturing software, Eric, is a great example where everything comes together. And, and Nathaniel, you and, and Eric were kind of constantly, you know, fine tuning this in terms of the, of the, of the process on site as you were doing some production engineering and, you know, then getting that feedback back to Josh. So we, we mentioned this in, in previous episodes, but we wrote all of our own manufacturing software and which is one of those decisions that may seem uh, ill-advised, but is one of those that was, boy, was that the right decision? I mean, can you imagine? I just, I don't know. I, I, the alternative is unfathomable, I think, at this point. I think we, we, we have had so, have appreciated so many gains from controlling that entire stack um, to actually like ed- programming the at the programming station, being able to do the rack level testing, being able to have all that software. But it does require a contract manufacturer that's really going to be uh, willing to be amenable to that. Because I mean, Eric, I haven't dealt with. Uh, I mean, we've been I think been very lucky with this relationship with Benchmark. I got to imagine this is somewhat unusual to uh, where with, to have a manufacturer that allows us to have such a, a close relationship with them. Definitely. I've been in their shoes. I've been the, you know, I've been on the supplier side and then that's the last thing I wanted was a customer hanging out down there. So I've tried to been, I've tried to be cognizant of that and try to be a good neighbor. Um, like from afar, I think we'd be a lot more aggressive because it's a more transactional relationship, you know, if we're just doing it over email, but when you have to kind of, you live where you eat a little bit. Um, I want to, you want to make sure you're doing well by them and, I think CJ, you had a a phrase that you were that you used somewhere. I'm trying to think from your long term relationship here. Um, trying to think of your nugget of wisdom. If you're selling um, to your supplier, oh gosh, that one. Does it? it doesn't matter. I'll, I'll figure. Well, no, well, no, that one was stupid. Was it? Was <laughs> <that one? laughs> while you're, no, while you're... Uh, gosh, I'll find it. <laughs> Anyways, but no, CJ had a good one. Um, just kind of long term. Don't. Oh, you can't surge relationships. Yeah, quote CDN now, and you can't have you can't surge relationships. You can't, you know, take advantage of. You have no foundational. You can't and then surge it. So yeah, documentation yeah. CDN Mendes. So, I, I think that's that's so true. So we tried to build that foundation again, and that's not that's not one person. That's all of Oxide. That's what I'm really proud to work with this team. Is everybody that comes on site. It's kind of like you're. You know, when your your kids go somewhere, you want them to behave well without you telling them. And then not that there's maybe a weird relationship there, but like everyone at Oxide, it's like our family. Everyone in our family speaks and holds, makes a very good example for for Oxide wherever we go. And I'm I'm really happy with that. And I think that really gets a lot of equity when we ask for stuff. Um, and we try to... Because there has been a lot of surging. There's been a lot of fits and starts. Again, that equity has allowed us to, totally. I think, get us over the bubble and say, all right, well, we're good on the good times, but we're good in the bad times as well. I think we got a strong relationship there. Yeah, that is really interesting. And that actually, I, I have to say, I'm very, it makes me very proud to hear that. That uh, I mean, certainly I feel the same way that we... Uh, all said from the beginning that this is a team that is bonded by mutual trust and the fact that we can all kind of trust one another to be on the point of that relationship and represent one another well. Um, And that's really interesting. Eric, tell me about this. um, Somewhere along the line, you gave a speech that became the stuff of legend. Aaron, I feel you were there. (laughs) 
reporting the, can you, I, I obviously, you know, we're not going to be able to, to really recapture it, but uh, can you give us the gist of that? This is when you were, I think, speaking to some of the benchmark folks um, and uh, keeping their spirits high. I don't, I don't, it was nothing special. It was uh, an opportune moment just to say thank you to the team. So I didn't, uh, I think Aaron was maybe a little bit of hyperbole there. Um, or maybe he was just uh, chiding. But no, I, I think it was just an opportunity to say thank you to the team. They had an informal photo op out in front of the rack. And uh, I think it was just a good time. We hadn't had everyone together like that. So it was, again, it was just a time for us to, you know, I think Eric was there. I think uh, I think Aaron was there. Um, and I think RFK, it might have been during the Sam, the Samtech cable um, walkthrough, if I'm not mistaken. But When I think it's just like getting an entire when you are manufacturing something, getting everybody because we, we it's very important to us that everybody is bought into this and that everyone feels like that because they are everyone is an important step of the process. And if we've got someone in manufacturing who is observing that something is not being done correctly, we want to empower them to say, "Hey, wait a minute, this could be why are you doing it this way? Like this, this could be done a lot better." And I think it, Eric, you really have to have that <clears throat> that strong relationship in order to. I, I mean, I'm aware, I'm not going to mention any names on the benchmark side, but I'm aware of at least a handful of people like that we now talk about by name that are just like even just line technicians or whatever that are uh, perhaps more observant than we expected someone would be that didn't work here, you know, like taking it all very seriously and, uh, you know, to, to raising process issues and concerns and doing a really good job. It's been, uh, I mean, I haven't actually physically been to benchmark, but it's been very fulfilling even remotely to, to see people getting so involved. Well, yeah, we were, Sorry, go ahead. We, were, we were putting together, I mean, the, the rack to ship a couple of weeks ago and like each as, as we were doing the final like assembly and testing and the operators are like cheering as we're, you know, going, Oh, we got another good one. We have another good one, you know, as we're kind of doing our final assembly of everything. And it's like, they're invested, which is pretty sweet. That is terrific, which is good because we have, we together have had all sorts of hurdles. So uh, I, I feel like we, we got to talk about some of the, the, the bullets over the ear that I know we've, we've spent, we've certainly talked about some of them in the past, but I think there's some that we've not talked. I feel like, did we, did we, I don't think we have talked about the sidecar heat sink issue before here. Have we, Adam? I don't think so. Uh, but I, I know we've chatted about it offline, but not, I don't think on the show. I, Kirsten, do you want to, or Kate, we had that, that near death experience and there've been so many of them, but we, this is kind of a, a concrete embodiment of the low level details that we have to deal with. So they kind of, the, the, the backstory is that we had heat sinks, CJ, just to your point about like logistics being its own entire discipline, we had heat sinks that were showing up slightly warped. And these are, these heat sinks are big. They, they're, these are the heat sinks for the sidecar. They're really well, big. The sidecar is the, is the rack switch powered by Tofino too. And, and we, I mean, they're really big. I mean, how, how much does that heat sink weigh? It actually does not weigh very much at all. Oh, really? That's yeah. That okay. is the the. It looks like it. In fact, it is so large that you would think to yourself that weighs yes. a lot. And it. <laughs> I've been scared just, to pick it up. Obviously, it's actually just a piece of aluminum foil in a funny shape. Yeah, and I, I'm sure, I, I, Kate, I'm sure you, you know the exact. In fact, actually, a big part of it actually, Adam, was reducing the weight of that thing. This was the moment arm crisis to <laughs> you. 
Do you remember the moment arm crisis when sure. we were among many other crises? With the, the, that heat sink was going to be so large that if we shipped with the heat sink on, there was a concern that the moment arm um, would be so long and heavy that it would require a very small amount of force at the outside of the heat sink to crack the PCB. Nathaniel, am I am I describing that problem adequately enough? Yeah, I think so. I'm I'm you know I'd only pretend to be an elect or a mechanical engineer, but yes, that sounds right. <laughs> So, okay, you, so do you mean because it extends? I missed this because it extends no. out. So like it's anchored in the center, and then it's effectively a lever hanging out the side, like a diving yes. board. Yeah. Yes. So it, it it would like, and that you know, this is a four four or five thousand BGA part. So like there are yeah. four or five thousand balls underneath that thing. So this is a big part, right? It's like all, an all, inch, all of which have to stay connected. <laughs> yeah. And so if you if you put a lever and attach it and then like start cranking on it, you're likely to break uh, some of the balls, especially out at the corner. But getting so that this is a big heat sink. And then, OK, great. We problem solved. It's like, well, you've solved one problem, but now we've got actually got to make it. It's actually important that that this heat sink show up and not be damaged. And Kirsten, do you, Kate, you want to talk about some of the issues that we had with that thing? Yeah, I think well, yeah, I can just uh, I can start with a few. I know Kate, uh, we were kind of tag teaming this issue with um, the team in China. So it wasn't just a flatness issue; they were also being received with a lot of bent fins. Um, so we had the two issues right. that we were dealing with; they were warped, um, much out of spec, and then the fins on the mostly on the edges were all bent in. So it was two things. It was, if it's flat enough, or can we get it flat enough? And then can we manipulate these fins back to being straight or good enough to use? And um, we, we honestly were having some issues getting in touch with the China team and getting the responses that we needed. Um, so we ended up getting in touch with their one of their US-based uh, manufacturing plants um, and that manufacturing plant manager took on our case, got everything set up. And there were a lot of late night calls for us because we had to make sure everybody, you know, we had people in China, people in California, people on the East Coast. So just getting everybody aligned and going through these issues one by one, we were looking at, uh, I can't remember the exact number of bent heat sinks, but, you know, we were short to what we needed. Um, we did not have the time to manufacture new ones. We didn't have a solution at the time for what was actually wrong with them. Was it a shipping issue? Was it happening in shipping? Uh, the fins definitely were. The flatness issue, was it a design issue or was that happening in shipping as well? Um, and if I remember correctly, um, the US-based manufacturing plant did fix some of them for us. This was, it was like five years yeah. ago as well, but I, I think it was like December. Yeah, I know. I guess. My God, this feels like it was. But yeah, there was there was a lot of teamwork um, between their U.S. based manufacturing plant, who really had nothing to do with the issue. These were coming out of China, but um, they stepped in and helped us until that issue was fixed. Until we had what we needed to get through the next phase of manufacturing, um, and then we've we've had follow up calls since. Uh, the packaging that these are shipping in now is crazy. I saw a picture of it the other day. Uh, Oh yeah, it's, it's so uh, ironic. This comes back to packaging design again. <laughs> whole, yeah, it does. A whole engineering aspect that I think was maybe overlooked by our supplier on the original shipment for the size of these. Um, they've created some really robust packaging with like a metal plate that it sits on just to ship here. 
Um, and in parallel, we're working on more permanent design changes that would address the flatness and warping issue in transit. But it just speaks to the criticality of shock and vibe testing and packaging design and all of that that goes with the end stage logistics of shipping a product. Well, and this is one of those two, like when you have something like this that is showing up damaged, it's, you know, you, you, you really go back to that relationship because it's kind of natural for a manufacturer to be like, I don't know, it was good when it left here. So it's like, I think you should be talking to your logistics provider or your shipper. And, you know, th that can be a, it, it's a real challenge because you've got kind of this third party in between figuring out like, all right, well, what did go? And, you know, w what do you expect to, certain things you have to expect to go wrong in shipping and what do you kind of accommodate there? And then whose responsibility is it? And with something like this, it's like, and I feel like they can, this is true for many, many components in the oxide rack, but it's like, we actually need this to work. Like we don't have, this is the, this is the supplier for this. We got to get this figured out. Um, and it, uh, yeah, someone's saying in the chat, it's like, this is like, it worked on my laptop, but for manufacturing, absolutely. It was in good shape when it left the factory. And then you're, you're left being like, um, the thing that did this, like, Fed, I, we know what FedEx and UPS, we know that they're awesome powers for the destruction of things. And it seems to be outside of that. It's, so it's we, we need to figure you, out a better way to pack um, it. Us being a startup and defining every process, even operation processes from the ground up. So piece of this is our quality control. So we now do 100% IQC inspection, incoming quality control to check for flatness on the ones that went into our first rack for the customer. And it, it speaks to the processes we're building out about quality in our four walls or benchmarks four walls at RCM and then upstream manufacturing quality control and the processes we want to put in place to kind of enhance that robustness and the incoming quality we receive of components. Totally. And with the eye at, at every level of like, we're trying to ship a quality product here. We're not trying to like blame people. We're trying to actually ship a quality product. And that's the, that, that's kind of the challenge up and down here. And as getting all of these different kind of, kind of layers in there, um, maybe, and CJ, I know we have talked about this before, but not, I think with you here, uh, I do, you know, uh, definitely a wrench that got thrown into the works was this issue with the part being misstuffed on the shark fin rev D and it, then you ended up with a new challenge thrown in your lap of like, we've got to get, how many did we get reworked? I want to say 1200. Yeah. We got to, I think we got to give a little more context on, on shark fin and rev a and sure. even part stuffing. Sure. So, uh, yeah, so tell the story. we had a shark fin, which is the PCB that connects all of the U.2 SSDs to the main board. So we have 10 of those per server. Um, and so we were doing bring up and wasn't working so well. And we troubleshot that down. You know, we didn't, hadn't messed with the design that much. Uh, and so we ended up figuring out, the W's figured out um, there's a part uh, that is mismarked because it's the wrong part. It's not the right part for this ref does. We use that part elsewhere on the design, but not in this specific ref. Uh, was location. this when I was there in the office at two in the morning and the light came on funny and then the computer wouldn't boot? Was that? Uh, no. That was. Yeah, no, yeah. I think. That no, was, was that it? You, you were the harbinger, yes. You, yeah. Well, the, Josh has been the harbinger for so much that it's hard to keep trying. He's been the harbinger. I couldn't get it to work and I wanted to go to bed. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think I wrote 
a few short messages about that into chat. And then when I woke up at like 11 in the morning the next day, it's like, well, <laughs> company over. Very yes. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, right. I do remember that, right? Like, hey, Josh, it was not just you. The good news is it was not just you. The bad news is. It was in fact not you. Thing. Just not you. Not just you. That's. Yeah. <laughs> it, the, I had I'd forgotten, forgotten you hit that the night before. And yeah, that was a wild morning as we realized that we had, this thing just didn't work and everyone is afraid that it's them. And as it turns out, uh, Nathaniel began to do an actual optical inspection of the board. And Nathaniel, I think, as I recall, like you fortunately did get lucky in terms of like one of the first parts you started on is like, well, that one is not the right one. <laughs> That's the Yeah, wrong I was one. playing which one of these is not like the others with the the parts just quick. And it happened to be like in the first three that I looked at. So, and I, I yeah. had, I had a current gen shark fin and a last gen shark fin. And so it was kind of easy to hop back and forth under the microscope and read the, the markings, but you know, these parts are small and, and, you know, the, the markings on like a, a SOT 223 or whatever these are, uh, aren't super clear. And so, you know, you're kind of looking like NEE and NEF and trying to make sure you, you know, match. But anyway, we found, you know, it, I don't, I think it was like an inverter instead of an AND gate or something like that. So. Yeah, if memory serves, uh, correct marking would have been double E, like electrical engineer, yes. and incorrect marking would have been CJ, like my name. So that was... Yes, oh, I yeah. believe I was right. the one that pointed that out to you, CJ. <laughs> you are. <laughs> yeah, if you see CJ, uh, you have the wrong part. <laughs> this is a problem. This is a problem. So, I, I mean, that was a wild weekend. And of course, you know, just to kind of bring back the importance of the relationships, uh, Eric, it was a weekend that he had Air Force Reserves duty. Um, but he had built up the strength of the relationship such that you know, anyone could have stepped into his boots, gone up to Rochester and helped uh, push that through. And uh, just to kind of clarify the you can't search relationships, Eric and I kind of went through a list of military aphorisms that apply just as much in a startup. And uh, you can't search relationships is definitely one of them, you know, where because Eric was there on site, uh, becoming the mayor, winning the darts league at Roosters, etc. Um, I did that, not. The darts really. League. I did not. You know, that makes a lot of sense. I would not play darts against Eric. Certainly not for mine. Uh, that, I, I, that, that might be, I might be apocryphal, but regardless. Uh, don't, you know, don't try to walk it back. Not, it's not already, it's if, you, if, no, if he's DMing you furiously being like, Camp is never going to play me for, I'm never going to play him for money anyway. So no, there's no way. I, he's, he strikes me as a good darts player. Darts, so darts, is, darts, Exactly. Darts. I feel like I'd be uh, totally hustled. <laughs> So, so speaking, when you say you can't surge a relationship, could you elaborate yeah. on what you mean by that? I, I think that's a really important point. I think it just means like you have to pay attention to relationship and invest it all the time because when the bad times come, that's a bad time. That's not a great time to start suddenly to build the relationship. Start, yeah, to build it. Um, and so you know, Eric, there's a guy, uh, Bruce Wessels. He's, uh, I think he's the Minnesota division um, general manager there. You know, Eric's built up a great relationship with him at Benchmark, and when we had this moment of need, because I mean, as you well remember, this was like super critical timing wise for us to get it to was, compliance. And was, like yeah. Bruce Wessels was on site on a Saturday, uh, you know, helping expedite and calling people that needed to be called and pushing things through. And so that would not have happened if Eric hadn't been there for the better part of six months regularly. Uh, Building those relationships. Building those relationships. Yeah. When I think also when we had, you know, we had this order challenge with the heat sink, one of the challenges was that we didn't have a great, we didn't really have a relationship, right? I mean, it was the, 
and actually it really should be said that uh, kudos to our investors at Eclipse who have always volunteered to help any way they can. And they actually like, wait a minute, I actually think we can, can make an executive introduction over there. And it was really clutch to actually get that issue resolved. But CJ, so I think that was an example where we learned the hard way. It's like, yeah, we actually, we really need to have these relationships in place before things go wrong before you, yeah. The, the, Totally. Because they will. There'll be something, right? I mean, in this case, it was literally a couple of reels got received and with the wrong part number marking on them, you know? And that's, it ends up on the SMT machine and that's what gets put on the circuit board. So small things like that, they do happen. Um, and that's when you really need to lean on those. I I do have um, another, we were talking about the yeah. sidecar heatsink packaging and just to kind of, it's just amazing to me, like having gone through all of this. The things that we were for sure, like this is going to be a problem, like the M.2s, right? We didn't think those little clips were going to hold up to shock and vibe. And like, totally fine. Not a single, not a single M.2 came undone. You know, all the things that we thought were going to be problems in shock and vibe or in packaging testing were totally fine. And I think that just speaks to, you know, the importance of uh, testing, not just on the product itself, but, you know, also on uh, other aspects of, of delivering it. And those M.2s, it should be said that as a custom connector that we, that's a 3D printed con, uh, yeah. connector, I think, right? So, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I actually am a little bit surprised that those yes. <laughs> Eric and I were that's just great. like, no way. Did you check? How many did you check? We looked at all of them. They're fine. Yeah, how many did you check? Did you check them all? The, <laughs> I we did. Um, we looked in every single gimlet. It was, they were fine. Could you talk maybe a little bit about the drop test? Because I, uh, I, I actually did not realize fully what was entailed in that until I saw one of the victim gimlets back here in Emeryville. It's like, yeah. what has happened to this thing? <laughs> it's alarming, right? So we did two kinds of packaging tests. We did the crate, which was like the foremost concern because, you know, we wanted to make sure that we could ship that and have that good customer experience. And that actually was fine. Crate, not so fine. But, you know, we're working on that. Um, but then we also did some individual shipper type tests because, you know, there may be a day when we need to say ship a, an individual gimlet to a customer. And so we want to make sure that that box withstands the, the, the vagaries of distribution, if you will. Um, and so we took six gimlets, put them in boxes that we had designed, and we ran them through a standard uh, ASTMD 4169 test procedure. Um, and part of that, you know, they have... Which like is drop it from outer space? I mean... <laughs> Not outer space, only like 12 inches. It wasn't a very far drop. Um and five of the six gimlets got bent pretty badly out of shape on the front where, you know, the U.2s slide in. Uh, and so, you know, we've shipped many, many gimlets across the country and never encountered that. Um, but in this instance, you know, where you have the standard test profile and you want to have like a higher level of assurance that it won't happen when it shows up at a customer's doorstep. Um, we've actually uh, changed the design of that packing, patching material to, to account for that. And just, again, to speak to the whole, like, it's a whole universe. Um, the, the material selection, you know, you can actually choose the foam to dampen certain frequent. I mean, it is, like, insane what you can do with packaging. But, uh, but yeah, that's, that's what happened to those gimlets, unfortunately. Um, but uh, that is why we test. Well, or fortunately, I they, they will live the rest of their lives on a rack because they all work. I mean, gimlets are functional. They just, they've been a little right. bit disfigured. I don't think they're yeah. going to go back into a rack. Yeah, exactly. They go, they go good on the on the desk that we also <laughs> dropped. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but I think before we get too far away from shark fins, I did want to like bring up a little story where I think CJ flew into Minnesota and picked up a box of shark fins from a courier on like a Sunday night in a parking lot, right? 
of a gas station. Correct. It was definitely very drug deal like. Did you switch uh, taxis before? <laughs> no, I did not. I was not super OPSEC concerned, but Steve had booked a courier through Delta Dash and it just like, you know, next flight out of SFO to SP. Oh, God. Well, was... I just, yeah, so I did the handoff here in Emeryville. That was shady. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. Well, I mean, it's literally just a text message like, hey, I'm in a gray Honda Civic. And it's like, okay. Yeah, that is there. where it was. <laughs> is this just was... uh, like a uber for people that happen to want to fly to somewhere else in the u.s and and are willing to there like have the cost defrayed by carrying something expensive is that yes that's the whole business model it's wow desperate companies mostly i would imagine like yeah. <laughs> <in> situations <laughs> like what we were in um and you know like nothing else is an option like fedex is just not going to get there uh yeah you know, it was not, not going to get there and so you got to go with these uh these couriers that was that was pretty wild that was pretty well. I, I did like, I wanted to take a photo of this just because it felt so casual. And I'm like, if I'm about to hand the, like, if I'm just handing the future of the company off to someone who's just like, you did what exactly? I'm like, I don't know. He took the box. Like, wait, this is a stranger on the street. So I took a selfie with him, which was probably, you know, just, uh, I think he's just like, all right, can I go do my job now? And she's just like, right, sorry, you know what you're doing. Uh, but it got there and it got there because we had to get all the shark fins there and then we had to get them all back. So we had everything had to take a lap, which was a lot of work. Yeah, it was a wild few days, and of course, you know, the call comes at a Friday afternoon, so that's that's always when it comes, right? But it was a uh, it was a wild few days for sure. I think there've uh, been a, a, a lot of those where we had a, kind of some new crisis. To I mean, there's a degree to which you're kind of constantly. I mean, we want to have things structurally in place so we have fewer crises, obviously. But then there are just these crises you just don't. The, the, the plan cannot be to have zero crises. Things are going to go wrong, CJ, to your earlier point. Yeah, and I, and I think um, just like working with folks, we talked about the value of partnership and the flexibility that it can give you. I think another place that we've benefited from good flexibility is Seco, uh, our logistics partner. They've yeah. moved racks across the country for us several times. That's also in the bucket of things we did, I think, right, was reach out to a 3PL, third-party logistics partner, early uh we were i think kate and kirsten were talking to them last summer and we kind of got that relationship established brian i remember standing next to you <laughs> being like when on the day we shipped to compliance <laughs> you know it was like whatever it was five or six a.m like if this guy doesn't show up and they showed up it was it was five fifty nine a.m and you're like if this guy doesn't show up in the next minute i'm gonna light him up and his <laughs> boss i was like man i hope for this guy like please show up right now i just for, for your own sake just and he but they showed up right on time it was great yeah They've been fantastic. They, they were our, you know, they delivered the first rack. Um, you know, it's, it's great when you can work with a company that is small, takes you seriously. You know, uh, I think with some of the larger carriers, it's hard to even break through to a human to talk to sometimes. Um, but Seco's definitely uh, done a great job uh, in, in partnering with us and, and being flexible. Yeah, that is, that, that is awesome. And so in terms of how do you kind of vet a logistics partner like that? I mean, in terms of, uh, of finding the right gigs, it does feel like... It, this felt like a problem that you, uh, we had to get way ahead of. Um, so how do you, uh, how does one vet that? Yeah, I think where you look for first is like industry experience. And so we looked for uh, logistics companies that had experience moving data center racks. And that is something that Zico does quite a bit of. Um, so that, I think that was a big part of it. Um, and then I think from there, it's, it's all the standard things we look for in any supplier, you know, uh, partnership as a value. Uh, yeah. transparency, uh, all of those things. Um, and I think just the ability, 
the, the fact that we were able to give you know Seiko a trial run there with those early shipments really just built confidence in the and that we had made the right choice. Yeah, totally. Um, and I I think the, the the transparency also it feels like it isn't necessarily like industry standard. CJ, correct me if I'm wrong there, but just it it, it no. feels like the the way we do things is maybe a little idiosyncratic. I, I definitely think that's true. I will say in logistics. You know, there's like a smooth veneer in logistics where it's like you have this like tracking portal and you get like a GPS locator and you think it's all like very organized, but logistics and freight brokerage in particular, it is like the wild, wild west. Like it is, they are managing a lot below the water surface for us and they keep it super simple, you know, like, yeah, uh, Brian, I think you mentioned the Twitter outage a couple weekends ago and how the uh, GPS tracking of our first rack was like your entertainment for the weekend. <laughs> I think yeah, it was absolutely. probably for all of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, yeah, no, I totally appreciating that 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 transparency was 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 terrific. And I think it also just like lo- looking for again that kind of that sense of collaboration up and down the supply chain. Um, so when things do go wrong, we can actually work together to get this thing, get the stuff diagnosed and and fixed. Yeah, I, I, I will say. It. Yeah, sorry. One other thing, I wanted to thank Eric Austin and. Uh, Nathaniel Huffman, because when we were looking at how we're going to move this thing, you know, it's a 3,000 pound box with an expensive computer. We tried offloading it off a truck once with a pallet jack, and I think someone literally almost died. <laughs> uh, so we were like, let's not do that again. Um, and so we were like, okay, well, how do you find a forklift and an operator? And Google search was giving me tons of results for like forklift rental companies, um, which uh, despite Ryan uh, RFK's protests, we were like, no, we're going to find an operator. But Eric and Nathaniel, having worked on big equipment before, were like, hey, the thing you're looking for is a rigging company. And so if you ever need to move something unusually shaped and heavy, a rigging company is the thing you should search for. And we use a Hatton's rigging. Company. rigging. Yeah. And mm. Hatton's, they're in the Bay Area. They're just down the road. Uh, they're always on time and do a great job. Not cheap. I will say that, but they're great. All right. Yeah. The, the looking for, for rigging. I, I, I like that. Um, so in terms of some of the other, I mean, I, Eric, I, you being on site, I know that there was a lot of debugging of the manufacturing line that we've done. Um, do you want to speak a little bit to that? Because I, I think some of the things that have been interesting to me anyway have been where we have seen an opportunity to both uh, debug how we manufacture it a little bit, but then also pr- generate better software so we, we don't have some of the problems we've had. Could you, could you elaborate on some of the stuff we've done there? Sure, and I may uh, phone phone a couple friends here. I think a lot of it has been like so early on. I think Nathaniel, maybe was it really October with I think it was Josh. We kind of hashed out like what does the programming station look like? I think uh, from a manufacturing standpoint, um, and uh, I, I put a bomb together which had computer, and then Nathaniel said maybe I'll maybe I'll flush this out a little bit. And he did, uh, and actually created uh, some things that were actually meaningful to programming as well as Josh with the software side. And um, I think working through that was, there was a lot of urgency, at least on my end, to know how this process works. So one, we could communicate that to benchmark. uh, So we could at least tell them notionally what we're trying to do here and how we're trying to ship a product and tell them that we know what we are shipping is a good product um, or it can operate. Um, so I think through that process was just trying to get one through the line. I think the chassis level programming, just to use that as an example, I think was, um, a really good example of trying to debug 
process that really didn't exist in anyone's mind. And then uh, I think, again, through the great strides of uh, a lot of the software team, um, um, with like RM and, and Josh, and we had those meetings on like, what does our test process look like? And just kind of outlining that. And Brian, you were on those meetings. And uh, that was that was extremely helpful to work through something that didn't exist and just put it out there and um, just try to execute on something and use that as a foundation to figure out what doesn't work and then kind of plow through that. Um, Again, I think there were a lot of points where we reached a standstill, and that's where it was a big help, like the, the double E's coming out to benchmark to um, kind of work through that process a little bit, um, that have a little bit more software experience that can help. They were able to communicate what they were seeing on the hardware side and then kind of communicate that back to Josh so we could we could do fixes real time, and we really saw an acceleration in that process probably over the last couple of months. Um, so that's just on the software side. But on, on, the, on the hardware side, or just on the on the mechanicals, we were still, you know, even into PVT up until two weeks ago, we are we're still on the front edge of freedom to some extent on assembling a rack. We had never fully done that in a production process, so we were finding out as we went through things where parts need to be different, placed differently on a bomb, for example. Um, you know, last year, CJ and I were talking and said, you know, it's not going to be a frame, you know, a huge weld that that's not going to keep us from shipping. It's probably going to be like a fastener or something small. And usually that's what bites you in the ass. I hate to say it. it it's something small that you, you, can, you might be able to replace, but it could be something that's a custom manufacturing component. Um, like I said, things you're not always at the front edge of your mind, like packaging, but those are things that will keep you from shipping a part, product to a customer or a complete product to a customer. So, um, I think it's just a matter of working through each one of those things deliberately and then uh, knowing what you need to fix, uh, and, for lack of a better yeah, term. And so you, so, I don't know if that answers It, it does. Question. Yeah, and it, there's a bunch of follow-ups. So one, it's a term that we've, we've talked about a lot is PVT, DVT, EVT, um, or I should say EVT, DVT, PVT, it's in that order. Do you want to kind of talk about what those different phases mean and what we are trying to accomplish in each of those different phases of, of product development? Yeah, sure. So, well, I mean, on the on the EVT with the engineering validation phase, I mean, maybe, I don't know if maybe I see just looking at the engineers, um, Nathaniel or Aaron, if you want to talk to that. We're trying not to blow anything and, up. And what, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, just making sure we're not seeing smoke. Um, but then we go into our uh, development uh, phase. The, that's the D there. Um, and that is working on basically, you know, just for lack of a better term or just to simplify, it's, it's a kind of dress rehearsal for production. So we're walking through, at least have an understanding and a framework of what your manufacturing processes work and manufacturing processes are, and even your test processes. So we still had some, I think, I want to think, uh, we still had some low-level programming in place, Nathaniel, correct? In November, we did, I yeah. believe, right? Yeah. Um, right? Yeah. I'm sorry. Just like... Well, we, yeah, we, cer <laughs> we certainly had stuff for the small boards. I... I don't remember. Yeah. Not at the chassis level, though. I don't think yeah. we didn't have anything in place. We had shark fin fans and stuff like but that. We, but we had sort know. of validated the programming station pieces and all of that. Josh is now right. only want to talk about barcode readers and your adventures with barcode readers. Barcode That's readers. Sometimes correct. Yeah. I mean, I think they were fine. They got, once you got the good one, I thought the good one was good. The one yeah, that, there is. I was surprised at the extent to which the good one which was much more expensive, 
was like it was actually much better than the shit one which was merely expensive yes like right like yeah, yeah. that 200 bucks gets you a lot of a lot of change there right but it's 200 bucks on top of already 200 bucks oh, or sure. whatever. Oh, like yeah. it's like double the cost and but it does actually work then the, which is the, nice. the the basic one is fine if you're scanning milk bottles i feel like like things that are large and flat and you can angle them correctly and there's no glare and then the good expensive one they're all what what they're all they're all like zebra barcode scanner thingies the the good ones have like lasers in them i feel like instead of just blinky it, it's, leds it's a blinky yeah. leds yeah yeah and La- so, the you, laser ones are quite good but you were building all the apparatus to scan the barcode and actually the, and when we say programmer by the way we say programmer stations a lot we're not talking about a human programmer we're talking about the right. lo- loading bits onto the various parts of uh, of either a compute sled or a switch yes from my perspective the manufacturing process has been part software engineering and part it department i feel like because we look after i think it's now the 10 or, or 12 desktops that we had to spec out yeah we have 11 or 12 out there now right yeah so there's like a standard keyboard and mouse and and little dell optiplex desktop and monitor and um and a barcode scanner and a usb hub and a handful of programming probes and uh they're all connected to a vpn so that we can manage them remotely and so on um yeah which which has been terrific because we can actually watch what's happening remotely um yeah i've never been to the manufacturing site myself which has been uh i've been relying on the goodwill of other people to go out there (laughs) and push buttons um but we've been able to do most of the complex debugging stuff remotely i think at this point yeah, which is which is cool. So just to speak on that real quick, we've had I think the the litmus test has been you know can someone like me uh, programming, <laughs> and Josh has created such a seamless interface that UI is fantastic and it's in Sun Microsystems font is what I learned which is really cool. So I mean, uh, all of the detail <laughs> there, and I think I'm really when we hand this over to the test engineers on the main at, at benchmark they are able to program it with little to no instruction. Um, and, you know, so the debugging piece is ne- next, but that foundational piece of just can it get to a working state? Um, I mean, just, the, the, like I said, the interface is... Uh, when also getting, getting that kind of a feedback from, like, where the interface is not helping us do the right thing. And if, if like, if someone does the wrong thing accidentally, kind of our view is like, okay, what, what could we do systematically and in the software to guide you to do the right thing? Make it harder and harder to do the wrong thing. And Josh, I think you've got, you've got software that makes it, it does make it really hard to do the wrong thing. It's pretty, pretty great. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, I feel like it's um, anything with a person, a person that's using the computer is really is a, like a user interface, user experience thing. And it's tempting to not think too hard about that. It's like, well, it's just manufacturing, right? It's not the, the customer is not going to sit in front of this thing. Uh, but we didn't treat it that way. We put our back into it 
organizationally, I think. And uh, so there's a lot of polish and also there's a lot of logging and telemetry. So we were able to, when we had a couple of times where something, I remember during the shark fin thing, we found that there were a couple of shark fins that had the wrong barcode yes. programmed into the yeah. ROM. Only about, yeah. like out of 1,200, it would have only been about five. Pretty good rate already. But we were able to go back through the logs and see which sequence of buttons pressing and barcode scanning and programming had occurred. And I think we'd figured out that it was basically that the it was not clear enough to the user that the screen hadn't advanced, that they, they had forgotten to push some button or something. So we were able to uh, correct that, I think, in the flow and come up with a... Uh, like the system won't ex uh, silently ignore a, a valid barcode scan in that screen anymore. Josh, like yeah, we were seeing, what is two barcodes? That's what it was. What, Josh, yeah. when we were re doing the whole send it, you know, send it, fix it, send it back, is this when the alarm would go off on the programming <laughs> station or the scanning station we had? <laughs> yes, the, oh, the the siren <laughs> that was I had the siren for the because um, we had this list of. Uh, barcodes that we had seen and then a, i guess a list that we'd ne we had not seen hmm. but which must have existed because they'd been manufactured by i mean ben benchmark and and then if one of those showed up when they were when we were getting them out of boxes the the computer would uh start screeching <laughs> well to, to your point uh you know steve the ceo was was doing this scanning it hearing the alarm and taking some action i asked him what the alarm meant and he yeah. said he had no idea so uh, clearly, you, you put put the one in the, that you're holding well, in in the quarantine bin. <laughs> that's right. So. Well, well, how about that? I mean, he he he. Uh, it was it was simplified enough where, without understanding the problem, we could all take the appropriate action. There you go. <laughs> it's a big red flashing. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that was fun. That was a. Uh, I feel like that was a last minute thing we did that weekend when we realized that we were going to have to. Yes. Disassemble all of the things that have been manufactured and pull the the 1,200. Well, I guess it, it was only 700 or 800 of them had been sent to us in boxes. Yes. And this is where we had, uh, this is where we engaged, I believe, the child labor in particular to do the, right. the, 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 the scanning. Um, Members and, of your family, though, so legal. Like, that's the... It's like it's yes, a farm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, I, right. As as OSHA is pouring over this call, yeah. wondering whether to forward on to the Department of Labor. Please do not forward this to your colleagues in the Department of Labor. Yeah. Sharkfins weigh less than one third of a pound, I would think, not 3,000 pounds. So I don't think there were any safety <laughs> The thing issues. I would add, Josh, when you're talking about putting the effort into building a good user experience for our programming stations and our test software, I think that really speaks to the same thread we've been touching on a lot. But relationship with benchmark we've treated them like we kind of we're saying in the ops team selling to your supplier so inverting the sales relationship so i think that goes hand in hand with good documentation how do you build this good user experience for the manufacturing line operators and it just helps us build goodwill when we have things like yield issues or reworks we need done um, we're able to speak to and give clear direction to the manufacturing team at Benchmark on what needs to be done. And I think a lot of that goes to the work we've done in the test and programming stations. Yeah, and I think Kate also points out that like we, 
just Josh, your point about like really taking this seriously in the manufacturing software and understanding how we can improve it at every turn. That to me is like having all of us own the, ultimately if we have a manufacturing problem, it's all of our responsibilities. And I think, Kate, that's the, the, the moments that I've enjoyed the most is when we've got all of these, everyone across the company working together to solve one of these problems and everyone kind of bringing their own expertise to bear. But it's really, really important that you not, that one not views manufacturing as someone else's problem. Because that, it, that to me, would be a recipe for total disaster. Um, and you can see how so many of these relationships go poorly when people don't own the relationship. They just want someone else to just make it for them. It's like, it's really not the way it works. I've been a part of a lot of NPIs with various factories. And this team we've built at Oxide is the closest relationship between hardware, software, and operations slash manufacturing that I've seen. Like we... We all work together. We know who to go to. If there's an issue with a certain subassembly or a certain thing, we go directly to the software engineer, directly to the double E who worked on that. And that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think it's been outstanding. I think it's been, it, it's only been the only way we've been able to pull this off. I mean, I just cannot imagine having, doing it any other way at this point because we've really needed, we've needed that kind of cross connection. And it's really, but I would honestly, as though, others are kind of contemplating building in the physical world. It's like, this is the approach that we would really recommend taking because uh, if you just go out there and try to find a contract manufacturer, um, you are, are it's going to be a recipe for disaster. You really need to, to take a more holistic approach and kind of a, a broad team-wide approach. So what, um, what are some of the other, uh, Kate, really kind of other things we wanted to hit on in terms of, I mean, it's been such an odyssey. I feel like every day has had its own new challenge ahead of us. But So I think we've touched on a lot of the things that we got right that allowed us to achieve this milestone of shipping the rack and some of the trade-offs along the way. Um, I think we'd be remiss on our value of transparency to not also touch on some of the things we could improve on or do better and reflect back. So one thing that I think of is our first customer ship schedule. We had a very optimistic schedule in the beginning and we've probably had a series of schedule slips along the way. I recall going out on maternity leave in November of 2021, thinking I was going to miss <laughs> first customer ship while I was gone. Um, I was a year too soon, it turns out. But we, we, we waited for you. Yeah, exactly. We just felt it would have been um, rude to Eric, do that. Kate. Eric you said a really I, great know. quote, which is actually a general patent quote. A good plan violently executed now is better than a perfect plan next week. So I think we were always operating under information we had at hand and with optimism to make the next right decision. And I think that served us well as we were going through this NPI while also building a startup with every process from the ground up. <laughs> Yeah, and I kind of feel like on schedule is actually a good a good point because I my personal feeling on that is like you've got to keep the stuff schedules aggressive and then understand that they're going to slip for things that you can't control. And but if you don't keep if you, if you don't keep the schedule, you have to keep the schedule aggressive enough to force yourself to hit the issues earlier rather than later. But you don't want to have a schedule that everyone knows is unrealistic or I mean you, it, it's a balance for sure. Um, so. We did slip, but you know, a lot of the slips I felt were, you know, we, you look at how much we achieved in the time we had, it's, it's kind of remarkable. Yes, exactly. And I think at the time we hadn't even gone through compliance testing, which we've, we've done a whole episode talking about that as well, but there's a lot we've learned between November, 2021 and today. And I think it's amazing what we've accomplished. 
Uh, totally. I mean, uh, yeah, God. Just, like, it feels we've, like- had, we've had a lot of, a lot of, I think it's really a lot of fits and starts. Um, one of the frustrating things, like you try to get other entities to create a schedule. And a lot of the times when we're asking whether it's supplier or any of our supply base or any other external entities for a schedule, we're not asking for it down to the detail. We just want notionally, like, what is your estimate? When do you think we're going to be done? And of course, there's always caveats and notions of it's going to move, um, but you got to plan for what you think it is. What is the information that we have today? And we've, we've done that. Um, we've also had to go back to the drawing board a lot of the times with bench. Um, and it's like, we kind of, kind of keep to dig, dig in that or, and I, not just bench, but other suppliers too. Um, we kind of dig into that well a bit, uh, you know, yeah. and I just, I, I want to do take a moment here. And so the oxide team is we're, we're flat. Um, but you know, the ops team is structured, I think also fairly flat. Um, but we got Kate as our fearless leader. Um, one thing that we've noticed, I think, as a team, and just to um, just recognize, you know, a lot of the times when we go other other suppliers, one, we're a startup. I've worked with other startups at other companies, um, one like, uh, and sometimes you don't take them maybe as serious, seriously. <laughs> like, oh, who are they? Uh, you know, we, Oxide tries to punch above our weight, and sometimes we're successful, and sometimes we, we, we punch ourselves. But I, but I, th- I think, we were able to do that because, you know, Kate comes across and she's going to toe to toe with people that have been in the industry maybe for 30 or 40 years. And Kate comes across with uh, great composure, great professionalism and a great communicator, which is uh, something that I'm not able to do. And uh, it really helps to have her voice um, add some legitimacy. And I think, again, that helps build that equity back up. Um, so we only, you know, we only pull her out, you know, when we need to. <laughs> and so there's some legitimacy with her involvement. Um, but I think that's been also a big saving grace. And, you know, as she's, like you said, a, she's a 30-something and going toe-to-toe with folks that are, and not toe-to-toe in a, in a confrontational way, but um, just able to, again, come across as a great representative for Oxet. And I think, again, that's been, that's been a huge huge uh reason for our success here so um yeah huge win yeah like i said she's i think you said on the other uh on your on the oxide and friends i think last week you were saying we have a lot of new employees but it seems like everyone's been here for, since day one but i know kate's been here since fairly early on and helped build this team so we mentioned that today and there's a lot of people that we owe success to at oxide and kate's kind of helped kind of formulate this operations team and this roadmap and um it's it's really exciting to see where it can go over the you know, over the next well and actually able to get a first yeah I, I think just to kind of pile on here Eric, i think that that one kate something culturally that you set very early was this idea of, of not siloing and people working together on a problem across the company and i think that we the culture that we have really reflects that i think it was that was really a very very important ethos to build within the team Thank you. I couldn't agree more. I think it's been like a mini double E degree in some regards, a mini ME degree sitting through all of the design meetings. But I think it has made us all stronger as a team to understand the challenges ahead when we go to scale manufacturing. Totally. And then I, I also feel like that some of the things that we saw, and I just love it where we kind of saw these opportunities to, I mean, Eric, I was reminded when, uh, we had some power stage issues that Eric Austin was debugging 
and there were some specific software that he's like, kind of, we could, you know, the part can actually, uh, we can actually have the ability to kind of pulse these rails to determine where, how the how these individual phases are doing. And uh, the ability for us to kind of turn around and integrate that software and get that on the manufacturing line all relatively quickly was, I thought, really neat. Um, and, and the kind of thing that we've, we've been able to do somewhat uniquely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, we got a lot of looks. Was it almost, I think it was the end of 21? Gosh, I think it was the end of 21 when we met and we talked about, you know, ICT and like they were giving us quotes for ICT. So we were so far away from that. And I think Oxide said, we're going to build our own test. And so we're still doing that. It's But it's been really cool in... Um, in, to see how we've built things on the fly, you know, as we came up with issues within two weeks, you know, we just did like the DRAM test that we did um, for the early on we implemented here just within the last couple of weeks. Um, I thought that was pretty amazing. And that was done within, I don't know what the timeline to launch there was, but it was days, I think is by the time we had hardware out that Josh sent out and um, software set up to be able to test that. So being able to have that flexibility um, and to push that into our line is, is really fantastic. And I know one thing, I think Nathaniel's already, he mentioned today, he's going through and starting to define that process for Gimlet. And we're going to do that similarly for, um, you know, sidecar and make sure that we have at least those blocks filled out within the manufacturing process. So we can say, we know what we want to do here, at least architecturally. But what do we want to fill in here? What is the equipment? What people do we need? Uh, to make that successful with software, um, how can we make Josh sleep less? Um, you know, get him down to three hours of sleep. <laughs> not po- not possible. <laughs> but I mean, the, it is the it's, two that, clock. That, the two clock hands are already pressed together at this point. <laughs> oh, it's not a mustache uh, or whatever. You know, um, yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's what's really cool about working with a startup. I mean, coming from other companies uh, where you're stayed by processes and, you know, process can be enabling, um, but they can also be um, suffocating at the same time. So I think we're starting to find that, I think that find that balance where we can still move really fast, but know what we did. <laughs> Cause you don't want to move fast. Like what the hell did we just do to get here? At least we have some understanding of there's some breadcrumbs at least to know where we, where we, where we came from, which is really cool. Totally. And Insisting on control too of of lots of the environment has been really helpful. Like the DRAM testing that you mentioned, we did get done in just a couple of days, but it didn't actually have to send hardware out for that. We're able to do that with the existing platform. It was just software changes and like we added a new flow to the menu stuff and that was pretty much it. Uh, And I think we've had a few things like that where we've been able to, because it's like, it's our computer that sits on the, on the, bench at the on the line and we're able to like control the whole like the os and then the all of the ui software and all of the programming stuff is software that we've written or or open source stuff that we've imported basically like it's not like we're it's not like this is a windows pc that had to have some particular binary blob installed on it from each manufacturer and they all have to compete for USB ports or something like it's there pretty, is no Windows PC in this manufacturer. There is. Line. There's not even a frame buffer actually right now. There so. is not a. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, there were. I Josh. I know there was a moment when you and I were debugging uh, USB issues. I'm like, we. I mean, USB does end up being load bearing for us as a company. Yeah, but it's pretty good now. It's it is. Good I mean, now. yeah. We, it is. We got a lot. We. Do you know we, the the first commit hardware, on yeah. on the manufacturing software was I think. August 9th last year? Last year is 2022. Yeah. So it's like less than a year since that got underway, which doesn't feel right, but uh, is ostensibly correct. 
we have solved a number of USB bugs in 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 that <laughs> intervening eleven months. We have solved a number. Yes, no, it's been. I and and it's again one of these things. It's like was a very it was very tough to do it that way. But then the dividend is yeah we need to add a new test in manufacturing because we're you know we I think we mentioned last time that we we're seeing uh, bent pins on prospect connectors and we wanted to be able to add this this dim testing then that actually we can turn around really really quickly and add that well, stuff. we were able to add uh control of the bench power supply which is a gpio pin just with a yeah. with a uh, one of those adafruit usb gpio ftdi dongle things which is like a, a couple of dollars and, and and a couple of wires so that was pretty good like usb not the greatest, but flexible. And works now. Works now. Touch wood. Don't say, why would you invite the peril? Why would I? I know, I know, I know. Uh, I'm all right. I'm sorry. We're going to be spending the next end, end months debugging USB problems. Yep. Um, but it actually has been great to, to completely control our own fate in that regard. And I would like to believe that it allows us to, as a, again, as a team, react to that next crisis really quickly. Um, and be able to to do what we need to go do to to ship a high quality product and to ship it repeatedly and to get that. I and mean, also I think the thing I'm really looking forward to, Kate, is getting all the feedback back into our process as we, um, as inevitably we will discover things that we can improve and getting all of that uh, improved over time is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's definitely just beginning. Like we mentioned at the top of this call, that we've shipped one of one that are the same dev in terms of the revision yeah. of the PCBs. And so it's now about going and making that a repeatable process, taking the lessons learned, doing that post-mortem feedback analysis, quality improvement, yield improvement. Um, it's honestly the most exciting part for the ops team. Although the journey here has been very fun as well. Yeah, no, we've got it, it's going to be, a, a, especially as we scale this out, it's going to be a lot of fun. And we've got the, definitely the right foundation to do it and especially the right team to go do it. So um, I, I think, uh, Kate, if you had uh, again, advice for other uh, startups that are kind of contemplating um, in, in the kind of hardware space, would, would, would be. Uh, yeah, my number one thing is removing the silos across teams and getting operations as close to engineering as possible. I think that's been the biggest win for us. Building domestic for engineering build cycles yeah. has been life-changing compared to, I, I was in a period where I was doing two weeks on, two weeks off between Asia and the US during an MPI and this time around has been much, much better. And then the other important thing I think is just the quality of the team. So the breadth of experience from different industries, different backgrounds across the operations team has really served us very, very well. Um, and also I will shout out that we plan to open source our ops policies and procedures. They're not all polished and ready for that quite yet, but it's something that I don't think there's enough of in this space. We all leaned on prior experiences and our opinions and best practices that we have from industry knowledge, but I don't think there's a lot of reference material out there for operations, policies, and procedures. Yeah, I think you're right. And I'm excited, for, Kate, for us to get this out there because, again, I think that we, the service that we can do to other folks, aside from offering our wisdom, and I certainly agree with everything that, that, that you said there, um, I think that we can um, really show what we're doing and show all the kind of the hard work that's involved. Um, and hopefully inspire others to do something similar. Because this is, I think it's fair to say that 
This is a domain that has not had much open source in it. When you're in, people do not open their their manufacturing processes really that much at all. Um, and uh, but there's a lot of value in doing it. So we're really looking forward to getting that out there. All right. Well, this has been exciting. Uh, thank you so much to the the team for for joining us here. Uh, I mean, this has just been again a terrific journey so far. We're really excited to go uh, scale this out and really appreciate. Uh, all of your wisdom, um, and again, it's I, I. Even though we've got a colleague who says that she's going to puke on me if she ever hears me says it, teamwork makes the dream work. So, sorry, Megan. You come My four-year-old says that now. It's a good one. Teamwork makes the dream work. I love that one. I love that one. I think that that's great. I, I don't care how corny it is. Teamwork does make the dream work, and it's we've got a great team here. It's been a lot of fun. All right. Well, thank you very much, everybody, uh, and thanks for the 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 tales from the manufacturing line, um, as always. Um, and Erica, thank you especially for all of the hard work that you've done on site there um, in Rochester. And uh, don't play darts against Eric or money. All right. Thanks, everybody.